Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Good evening, one and all, seven o'clock on the nail, uh, Tuesday. Have I got the right day? I believe I have. And what am I? Well, I am this is what I am. I'm a consultant, plastic surgeon, JJ Stano is the name, plastic surgery is the game. And uh, I'm going to be talking about some commonly, commonly asked questions, which I've been asked in the previous seven days. Actually, no, 40. Hi, Jackie, good to see you. Is it 14 day? Was it? Oh, am I getting confused? It was last week holiday. No, it wasn't, was it? It's a bank, it's been a bank holiday weekend. Sorry, it's not been holiday. So I probably was here last week, wasn't I? Okay, so the last is Amy wasn't here last week. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, last seven days. Um, you don't care in what period of time, do you? You just want the questions to be asked. I hope you can't hear what's going on upstairs, because I think my son is doing some kind of exercise. I don't know what he's doing. He's jumping about. I've tried to shout through the um, ceiling, but I don't think he's heard. Anyway, um, right. So if you've got a question, chip in. If you haven't, then sit back, relax, because I have got, I think it said seven. Oh, I didn't realize it had the number of questions there. Yeah, seven questions. So uh, without further ado, I will start with the first question, which goes something like this. Do you offer on-block capsulectomy? If so, will the tissue get sent off for testing? So yes and yes. Um, well, I say yes. A lot of people ask about on-block capsulectomy. We do offer, we can do on-block capsulectomy. So in case you're wondering what on-block capsulectomy is, um, we're talking breast implants here. Breast implants get coated in a capsule. It's normal. It's what the body does when you put something inside the body. It walls it off in scar tissue, and that's basically what the capsule is. Um, it's just your body scar tissue. And when patients develop capsule, what's called capsule contracture, hardening of the of the uh, implant, it, it's it's called a capsule contracture, and you can remove that capsule and replace the implants, and that's called a capsulectomy. So a capsulectomy is actually quite common um, operation to do, uh, and a total capsulectomy is a common operation to do where you remove all of the capsule um, and put uh, a new implant in. This on-block term has come more recently from patients, particularly I think it's from patients, I don't know who this patient is and I don't know why they're using the term on block, but it's particularly patients who are worried about breast implant illness, which is a, um, uh, a condition where people who've got breast implants in uh, describe um, symptoms such as brain fog, lethargy, joint pain, skin rashes, hair loss, uh, and they feel that they're related to the implants. There's no medical reason to say that implants can cause these. Nevertheless, there's women out there who describe this is called breast implant illness. And when they uh, develop breast implant illness, they want the capsule um, removed on block. Now, an on block capsulectomy means that uh, you remove the capsule with the implant inside and you do not breach that capsule. The problem with doing that is that I don't know if you can imagine this, but 
you've got to use a much larger incision to do a proper on-block capsulectomy, taking the capsule out as a specimen, almost like a cancer. On-block is really a cancer term when you do an on-block resection of a, of a tumor that you don't really want to cut into the tumor. So you cut out everything around it. You take the tumor out on block, as it were. Um, and it's not really appropriate in terms where there isn't a tumor because if you don't do an on-block capsulectomy you just do a total capsulectomy if you incise that capsule then you can take out the implant the implant's usually not hard people think the implant's gone hard when you get a capsule the usually the, the implant itself is not hard it's just made to feel hard because the capsule the scar tissue around it has has contracted around it so you can make a, a much smaller incision if you can just cut the capsule take the implant out which will then kind of deform because the implants are squishy and then that capsule has lost its its form and can come out you can still do a total capsulectomy but you don't have to do it on block you can do a much smaller incision um, than if you were doing it on block now the only uh, condition where an on block i guess would be much more reasonable is if you were doing a lift if you're doing a lift at the time of the capsulectomy then it's not unreasonable to do an on block because you've got much more exposure, the incision is much bigger, and it's much more um, appropriate to do a total on block capsulectomy. It wouldn't be so much of a problem. But through a, if you're not having an, a, 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 a mastopexy, if you're not having a lift at the time of the capsulectomy, I think it would be personally, I think it would be absolutely fine to just do a, a total capsulectomy, make an incision in the capsule, remove the implant and then remove the capsule kind of separately. It's a much smaller incision, and you're still getting all of that capsule out. There's no reason to not want to breach that capsule, because as I say, you're not really dealing with a cancer. You're not worried about seeding cancer cells or anything like that. So um, I would say it is very rarely required, particularly in situations where you're not doing a lift. But if you ask the question, do we do it, then yes, we do. Um, and the second part of the question, if so, will the tissue get sent off for testing? Well, the answer is yes. And this is one of the indications about um, ALCL, which is this cancer that's come about from uh, breast implants. And you kind of ask yourself, where has it been all these years if there is, has been a cancer associated with breast implants? Now, breast implants have been around since the 60s. So why has this cancer only been around for the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years? Um, probably more than five, probably seven, eight, nine, I don't know, seven or whatever years. Um, and one of the things is that we're now aware of it. So we will always send off the capsule. Whereas back in the day, we didn't used to send the capsule. It was just scar tissue. Why would you send it for histology? So we never sent it for histology. And, um, oh, for God's sake, can you, I hope you can't hear that. What is he, what is he doing? Um, we never used to send it for histology. Okay, um, so um, maybe there was ALCL there, which wasn't causing a problem because we didn't know because we didn't send it for histology. Um, and now not only that, when you send it for histology, you have to specifically ask for ALC ALCL, they have to look for it. So if you're looking for it, it might be that you're finding it now, and uh, but whereas we weren't finding it before, but it kind of, there might have been cases where it wasn't causing a problem. I, you know, we don't know really, that's the... That's the answer. But um, anyway, in answer to your question, yeah, we routinely send it off histology. You don't have to ask for that. That's a routine thing these days, sending the capsule off uh, for histology. Alison, what have you got? I had FD FDL, I think that is, fleur de lis tummy tuck, nearly six weeks ago yesterday. I felt a rippling 
a ripping feeling when getting undressed along the middle. Can't see anything outside. Could I have uh, damaged inside? Yeah, I mean, maybe, Alison. Um, the ripping feeling kind of, you know, there are, there are, as you probably know, I think you you kind of alluded to it for the question. There's there's like um, stitches to bring the muscles together. So they would have repaired the muscle um, in the midline. Um, and so that would go along with a kind of that feeling. So you might have you might have torn one of those stitches. There's usually quite a lot of stitches there. Um, so it's usually not a significant problem, but I don't know. I mean, basically I say, see your doctor, see your doctor, um, see your surgeon and, um, and and ask them to have a look. And um, there wouldn't really be anything to be done at this stage, uh, especially if you can't see anything. If there's no obvious um, pulling apart of the muscles or anything. Um, and yeah, just kind of don't worry about it because it's not a lot that we would do at this stage. But yeah, best to talk to your surgeon and um, see what they what they recommend. But um, but yeah, that might that might have been some of the stitches might have, might have pulled up or something. Um, so, what is the breast implant lifetime warranty? Good question, because a lot of times people say, "Oh, implants got a lifetime warranty," and pretty much. I think basically, not sure about Motiva. I mean, we we don't we don't reuse any particular make. We're not we're not tied to any make. But I was going to say all. Oh, let's just say most of the implants that we use have got a lifetime warranty, and that sounds good, doesn't it? Lifetime warranty for the implants. Oh my god, that's amazing, um, and it is good. Uh, but when you when a, someone says they've got a lifetime warranty, you've got to say what's included with those implants because different things can be included um so usually the lifetime warranty is for um rupture of the implant that's pretty kind of standard for, for for rupture of the implant so if the implant ruptures then they will give you a new implant that's the other thing you've got to think of what's what's covered so first of all what's covered in terms of what the problems with the implant and secondly what's covered in terms of what will they give you so they will usually give you a new implant if you are uh, if the implant's ruptured now often you have to send the implant back to the company they send you a box and you have to send it back to the company to ensure that it was not ruptured due to a knife or you know something during the surgery and that it was actually uh, a failure of the shell um but that's kind of what is standardly if that's a word Standardly, um, standardly covered with implants is um, is rupture of the implant is, is standard for, for that to be covered. Now, sometimes they will cover you for capsular contracture, sometimes not. So some, that's something you've got to look for. So some companies, Navor, uh, Mentor, cover you for capsular contracture. Polytech don't cover you for capsular contracture. Sometimes they will give you money. So if there's a rupture within the first 10 years, uh, Mentor will give you, I think it's seven hundred pounds. I've got, a, I'm not sure. I think something like a thousand dollars. They'll give you a certain amount of money um, to cover the costs of the of the surgery. So when they give you an implant, they just give you the implant. They don't cover the cost of the surgery. But as I say, if there's a rupture within ten years, which is proven to be failure of the shell, then the then uh, I don't use much Mentor, so I'm not sure about this. But I think it's something like seven hundred pounds or a certain amount of money if it happens within ten years. Um, 
And then, uh, as I say, some will cover Capsicum Chacha, Nagel will cover Capsicum Chacha. And then some, for instance, Polytech um, don't cover Capsicum Chacha, but they have a two-year cover where they will pay £1,500 per implant, so up to £3,000, um, if there's a problem within the first two years, problems being malposition, as in not sitting right, seromas, infections, capsular contracture, I think is covered in that with the first two years, so that would be rare in the first two years. So basically they cover different things, but then after the two years, it's just the implants are covered to say, here you go, here's another implant, be like, yeah, how do I get it in? Um, so it's, you know, it's it, the point I think I would take away if I was a patient is that it doesn't like cover everything forever. So if even if the implant manufacturers say they'll give you another implant, then you will still have to pay a lot of money to have the surgery because the cost of the implant is only a small um, amount of, of the cost of the surgery. You have to pay hostel fees, surgeons fees, anesthetist fees. So there'll be a lot of costs still. I mean, it's, it's nice, don't get me wrong, but it may be not as good as it sounds if someone says they're covered for life, don't worry. If you ever get any problems, you're covered. You're not covered. You, you get a new implant, but there's a lot of costs associated with having that implant changed. So it's something to be aware of if you're having uh, implants. The other thing is some will cover you for ch size changes. Some will give you a contralateral implant as well, so the other side implant as well. Um, so they're all different. And it's a bit of a minefield, I'll be honest with you. Um, but uh, I think the bottom line is that I, I would kind of say don't don't rely on it, actually. Um, I don't think we make a big deal of it. I try not to make a big deal of it because because it, it, you don't want to lull someone into a full sense of security to thinking that everything's covered. Um, you know, most things in terms of badness happening is covered for the first six months. And most badness happens within the first six months. Um, and then then if it's okay at six months, it's probably going to be okay for a few years. And then the next lot of badness happens a few years later, five or 10 years later, which is usually capsular contractor, I guess, is the most common thing, which is scar tissue forming around the implant. So that surgery is quite expensive, even if they did give you a new implant. Good question. I have type 1 diabetes. Would it be possible to have a mole removed? Yes, it would. Now, type 1 diabetes or diabetes increases your risk of infection, so you'll have an increased risk of infection, so we would warn you about that. Uh, we would also want your diabetes to be well controlled. So if it's not well controlled and your medication is being changed and you're having struggling controlling things, then um, we would probably suggest you get into a stable state in terms of your diabetic control. But if you're stable with your diabetic control, then I would say, yes, you can have surgery, uh, but you have got an increased risk of infection, having diabetes. Um, so we would you know, say to you, do you want to have surgery? But we wouldn't say you couldn't have surgery. You know, you can still have surgery. Um, and you just have to sort of be aware of the increased risk of that. Alison, thank you. Thank you for asking the question. Good luck with that, Alison. Yeah, get checked, I'd say. Just go and see your doctor. Six weeks, you're probably due for a follow-up, I would reckon. Are you at six weeks, maybe? Um, I would like a breast reduction, but 12 years ago, I had DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ. Um picked up on a routine mammogram and I had surgery to remove it and they found two millimeters of cancerous cells. I've had radiotherapy and 10 years of tamoxifen. I have regular mammograms and the last one was clear. Would it be suitable for a breast reduction? Yes, it would. Yes, it would be suitable for a breast reduction. 
However, um, there's things you need to be aware of. The first thing is that the radiotherapy will have damaged your breast, whether you can see it or not. Often you can't see it. The old days, they were much more aggressive with the radiotherapy. They used to actually burn the skin and you could see skin changes. Um, these days you don't see that quite so much. So the skin often looks normal when you have a radiotherapy. But nevertheless, there will be kind of scarring within the skin and within the tissues because that's what the radiotherapy does. It damages tissues. It doesn't know what cancer cells are. It just damages tissues. It just damages rapidly dividing cells and cancer cells are more rapidly dividing than other cells. And so it preferentially damages cancer cells, but it will still damage normal cells. And so there will be kind of scar tissue within that breast. And so that will increase your risk of wound healing problems on the radiotherapy side. So number one, you're going to have an increased risk of wound healing problems with the radiotherapy side. And a breast reduction is a big deal. There's lots of scarring. There's this kind of T-junction. There's a round circle down around the nipple down and in the, and the uh, fold as well. So there's a lot of scarring and there's a lot of potential for wound healing problems. So that's going to increase your risk. So that's a big deal. The other thing that happens with radiotherapy is because it causes scar scarring of the tissues, the breast, which has had the radiotherapy, is likely to be sitting more firmly and not droop and not move in quite as much of a natural way as the other breast. And paradoxically, people often prefer the radiotherapy breast because it kind of sits up higher and, it, and it's a bit more taut and it, it's a bit more like you kind of would expect a mastopexia, a breast reduction, a mastopexy is part of a breast reduction. So lifting the breast is part of a breast reduction. And so it might sit quite high and full. Uh, and you might actually like that. Um, you probably won't notice it in a bra, but when you take the bra off, the natural breast moves. The natural breast has got giving it. And that's what na natural tissues do. But when you've had radiotherapy, it doesn't move quite as much. A bit more woody, a bit firmer. Um, and actually, cosmetically, patient, patients often prefer the radiotherapy side. But the point is, there'll be an asymmetry. So you wouldn't probably wouldn't mind if both did the same thing, whether they move or they stay firm. But the problem is when you've had radiotherapy on one side, you'll take the bra off and the radiotherapy breast will not move quite as well as the natural breast. And so there'll be an asymmetry. So there's an increased risk of wound healing problems and there will be an asymmetry in terms of the shape of the breasts, particularly when you take your bra off. You can hopefully get a good uh, result in a bra but out of a bra, there may be an asymmetry in terms of one will sit higher than the others. So it might look a little bit uh, asymmetrical. Uh, and that's just a nature of the um, of the of the radiotherapy damage to the skin. So um, you can have a breast reduction, but you have to keep these things in mind. Zena is on Facebook. How are you doing, Zena? After a bilateral breast augmentation, is it normal for one breast to be okay to be recovering quicker than the other? Yes. After any surgery, Zena, you have one. The amount of times people say, oh, I'm so happy with my right or my left or my whatever. Um, it doesn't matter if it's your breasts, if it's your ears, if it's your hands, if it's your feet. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're operating on two things, it's pretty common for people to say, this one's great. If only they, you know, if only it was like the right one or the left one or whatever, and they say it's because I'm right-handed or because I do this or because I sleep on that side. And people often sort of say it's because of this or that. At the end of the day, I think the bottom line, Zena, is that yes, it's very common for one to be um, healing differently to the other. Um, and it's just the nature of the beast. So yeah, it's, um, it, it, you, you know, 
I normally say things start to sell around three months, six months for things to properly settle. So it does take a while for things to settle down. And it can take 12, 18 months for everything to really, you know, settle down. So in the first few months, you often get one a bit fuller, higher, bigger, nipples not right or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it is it is quite normal for things to be um, to settle in different times. Uh, Emria 3, do implants shrink over time? No, implants don't shrink over time. But what happens with capsular contracture is you might kind of think they shrink because they kind of shape, change shape. So um, implants have got like a dome shape. And when you get capsular contracture over time, you get scar tissue forming around the implant. It, it turns into a sphere, which has got the lowest surface area to volume ratio, you know, like a bubble is a sphere. So that's sort of like the position that a, an implant will get into, it'll get into a sphere. So they can get fuller, but they get narrower. So you might think they're shrinking if they sort of narrow, but they get fuller. So it's, you know, they change shape over time. So it's not actually shrinking. The volume is the same. The volume doesn't change, but the um, but the shape does change uh, over time as it, as it contracts. And the, the, there might be a widening of the cleavage and a bit more fullness as they contract over time. Uh, thank you for putting my mind to rest. You are welcome, Zena. That's what I'm here for. Uh, Alison, what you got? Also, on the lower tummy, I have two levels of swelling. Left side lower than right. Could this be swelling? Got told it's not fluid. Was told wait till three months as could be fat, but surely not more right than left. Have you come across this? I've come across asymmetries, Alison. Um, two levels of swelling, left side lower than right. I, I, I've definitely come across asymmetries and, you know, I think it's not unreasonable to say wait till three months and it could be. So there could be swelling, which isn't necessarily fluid. So there's kind of two two types of swelling, I guess, with a tummy tuck uh, with any surgery, but particularly with a tummy tuck because there's quite a big space there. So there's like free fluid, which is like a seroma, which is water sloshing about which is kind of like swelling, but you can put a needle in and, and drain that off. But there's also swellings in the tissue. So the tissues can be swollen. So you can be quite swollen. You think, oh, God. But if you put a needle in and nothing comes out, that's just because like when you bang your knee and it swells up. Actually, the knee's not a good example because you could have fluid there. It's like when you bang your arm and it all swells up. There may not be like a lump of fluid there, but the tissues are edematous. And the tissues are swollen. So it could be edema, which is swelling of the tissues. And yes, again, a bit like with Zena saying one side more than the other, you can um, you can get more on one side than the other. So it's not unusual to get a bit more swelling on on one or lower or right side or whatever. Um, he, he done needle and nothing came out. Yeah. So often when you don't, if you if you think there might be fluid there, you'll put a needle in and, and try and get some fluid out. But uh, sometimes there's no fluid comes out. And that means there's probably edema in the tissues, sort of swelling within the tissues. Um can you remove an abscess located on the kidney? <laughs> so when you say you, um, do you mean me? So, or do you mean one? So one can remove an abscess on the kidney, but me can't remove an abscess on the kidney. No, I can't. I wouldn't know where to start. I mean, a, a, you have to get inside the abdomen to get into the kidney. Um, I, don't, I don't even know what you do with that. Some, I don't know if they do that percutaneous, you know, go through the, um, go through the, you know, just put a needle through the skin. I don't know, they'd have to do some some kind of guidance. I don't know. Um, so, yes, you it can be removed. An abscess in the kidney can be removed. And, and um, what's he playing out? What are they doing out there in the garden? Um, but it's not my, it's not my thing. That would be a, 
what would that be? General surgeon, maybe? Probably, yeah. Probably a general surgeon. They do sort of intra-abdominal work. So, um, yeah, not me. So I, I can't uh, I can't do that. Um, sorry. How long should I wait to have breast implants put back in after removal? Um, right, so this patient, what? Oh, God, I missed the... So this patient, she's had removal of implants and a lift, I think. I've healed very well, and everything seems calm and settled. I'm training again with no issues, and I'm hoping to schedule augmentation for the four months post-surgery mark. There seems to be different opinions from surgeons from research I've done online as how long to wait. The majority state from three to six months post-breast lift. In the UK, I was told six months plus. What does your surgeon think? That's me. If he believes I should wait till six months rather than four, what are the reasons for this and potential complications from having it done sooner as this is my preference to do this? Okay, so um, in answer to your question, uh, I would say go with your, your, the surgeon you're, you know, you're going for uh, with all of these sorts of questions because as you will find, there is no answer. There is no, you know, there is no, um, what's the word, consensus really for this sort of stuff and it is surgeon preference and you do really need to be examined and to be looked at to see how you're healing the first thing is this so this patient's had removal of implants and a lift which i don't quite understand because well uh, well everyone's different i would have just put the implants back in again i would have done removal of implants I've done replacement of implants and a lift. So I'm not sure why they're waiting unless there were signs of infection. But if there were signs of infection, I wouldn't have done the lift. So I don't really understand what's happened here, but I guess it's slightly academic. The point is, you know, how long should you, if you have one surgery, how long before the next surgery in the same area? I guess that's the that's the, uh, that's the question. Um, and it's the same for, you know, serial excisions of tattoos and anything where you're sort of going back into the same area. How long should you wait? And I would say four months is minimum. I, I, I say four months is minimum, um, but four to six months is reasonable. And what I do is I usually examine someone around the three, four months, see how they're getting on. Um, because what, and it's, it might sound counterintuitive this, you have to wait until the scars are really properly settled before you do another operation. Uh, and you might say, well, what's the point in doing that? Because you're going to cut out the scars. And the point of doing that is because not only if the scar, the skin scar is quite red and firm, you kind of want to wait until the tissues are a bit more soft and they've sort of um, the t they're not quite as woody and difficult to to to, to move and, and maneuver. Because if you do things too soon, if you do things in the first few months, it's horrible doing surgery in the first few months post-op. Everything's quite tight. The skin just cutting into it. Nothing really moves and uh, it's hard to get a good result. So that's why you want to wait longer. To be honest with you, from our point of view, the longer you wait, the better. Uh, you know, four months is kind of like the minimum. But if your scars are still quite red and quite firm, then I would say it's some it's it's not unreasonable to wait longer for six months. But I wouldn't sort kind of say, you know, when you remove the implants or when you do the surgery, I wouldn't kind of book the next operation at four months because I would say that's the minimum. It depends on how you go. If you have delayed wound healing, if your scars are quite red for longer, you might want to wait for six. If your scars are beautiful and everything's looking fantastic at three months and it's all lovely and soft, well, then you might want to do it at four months if you want to do it as soon as possible. But what I would say is the surgery is a lot easier and you like to get a better result the longer you leave it because the, the easier the tissues give and move, 
then the easier it is to do things like putting implants back in or whatever it is they want to do. Um, it's easier once everything is softened and settled. Um, so here we go. Why is there a risk of losing a nipple following a breast uplift? So basically, when you do a breast uplift, the breast uplift and a breast reduction are similar kind of operations. They both lift the nipple and the nipple goes from a low place to a high place. And anytime you're moving the nipple from a low place to a high place, then you have to isolate the nipple and you have to kind of close the wound under tension. And um, when you're isolating the nipple, you are taking your when you when you cut around the nipple, it bleeds. You are cutting blood vessels that were going to the nipple. Th those blood vessels were going to the nipple. Now, this is the amazing thing about plastic surgery is how much um, kind of overlap there is in the body. I mean, it's amazing what you can do to the body. I mean, you can take out massive pieces of bowel and patients still function fine. And you're like, well, why did you have all that bowel? You know, well, why do you have all that bowel? If you, if you can take out a massive bit of bowel and patients still function fine. You know, you can function fine on one kidney. Um, you know, well, why have you got two sort of thing? There's a massive amount of kind of overlap. I'm sure there's a word for it, uh, but overlap will do at this point um, in the body. And so, you know, the fact of the matter is there is obviously a lot more blood vessels going to the nipple than it kind of needs because you can do a breast reduction and you can do a breast lift. It's, it's more of a risk. Nipple loss is more of a risk with a reduction than a lift, because with a reduction, you really have to properly isolate it and, and move it and take the tissue away from around it. Whereas a lift, you're just kind of releasing the tissues. But nevertheless, the, the principle is the same. You are kind of cutting around the nipple. And as I say, you are cutting blood supply and nerve supply, same because there's a risk of losing the nipple and there's a risk of losing the sensation of the nipple also because you are you are you are. Um, isolating the nipple and taking away some of that, cutting some of those nerves and some of those blood vessels to the nipple. And the problem is we don't see the blood vessels and the nerves that are left. We only see the ones that we cut. We don't see what's in the bit of tissue that's still going to the nipple. I don't know. I probably, I feel like I have to sort of show you, you know, do it, show you in theater what, what I'm talking about. I don't know if this is coming across, but there's like, there's like a piece of tissue that's still attached going to the nipple and you can't see the blood vessels or the nerve supply. So you definitely can't tell what the nerve supply is like until you wake up. You can get an idea of the vascularity of the nipple at the end of the operation by kind of looking at it. You can see if it looks, usually the problem is is uh, venous congestion. So it looks purple, basically. There's too much blood getting into it. The arteries are pumping blood into it, but there's not enough veins getting blood away from it. So that the, normally the problem is venous drainage of the nipple. Um, it's a rare problem with a lift. As I say, it's more of a risk with an uplift. Um, it's more of a risk with a reduction. And even with a reduction, it's a rare, rare problem. So it's not a common thing, but it's something you need to be aware of if you're undergoing these operations because it is out there um, and it is obviously a significant complication. Uh, but that is why, because you're moving the nipple. In order to move the nipple, you have to kind of release it a bit so you can move it up. And the more you move it, the more of a risk it is. So the lower your nipple is before you start, the, the further you've got to move it. And so the more you've got to release it, and so the more the risk is. So if you're, we, we measure from the sternal notch here to the to the nipple, if that distance is kind of like, you know, 40 centimetres, I saw someone the other day, and it was like 40 centimetres, then you're thinking, mm, that's a bit of a worry because I've got to move that nipple, you know, maybe over 15 centimetres. If you've got to move the nipple 10, 15 centimetres, so you're normally putting it 22, 23, 24 centimetres is sort of normal position for a nipple. Um, so if you're, 
if you're moving it like more than 10 or 15 centimeters, you're, you're increasing that risk. And so those are the situations we would consider doing a free nipple graft. So the patient with the 40 centimeters, I'm like, you're better off just taking the nipple off, putting on as a skin graft, because you think there's the risk of that pedicle is going to be so long. Not only is it going to be so long and there's going to risk of nipple loss, it's going to be so long, it's going to be really big. And so the volume is going to be really big. So whilst, yes, they are very big um, now, they'll still be quite big if you try and keep a pedicle going to the nipple. So you can actually make it smaller if you do a free nipple graft. So, um, what if your nipples are quite high anyway? So if your nipples are quite high anyway, uh, Emria, you probably don't need a lift unless you've had a lift and the nipples are too high and you've had something called bottoming out where you've got what we will call pseudotosis. So it looks like you've got droopy breasts, but your nipples are in a good position. So that would be pseudotosis. And that's usually a post-op problem. But people who have nipples that are, uh, people who need a lift or a reduction, their nipples are always too low. Uh, it's rare to have nipples that are that are that are in a good position and need a lift. Um, I can think of one patient that I had to treat a young good lady who had her breasts were big, but the nipples were in a good position. Um, she was quite young uh, and her nipples hadn't really drooped, but she had quite a lot of breast volume. But um, that's like one, you know, pretty much anyone who needs a lift or a reduction their nipples are low, uh, unless, as I say, they've had surgery and their nipples are high and they've been put high and their breast tissue's bottomed out and they need another lift. So that's a different different situation. Um, Emria, I don't know if you're going to say to me that you've got your nipples are quite high and you need a lift. I'm not, as I say, it's not a common kind of demographic of people. Uh, but it, in answer to your question, if your nipples are in a good position, and you just need skin and tissue removed from the lower pole, then yeah, you've got a low risk of nipple problems because you're not moving the nipple. So that would be great if you if your nipples are in a good position. Um, you're saying your nipples are quite high. Well, that's a different problem altogether. If your nipples are too high and you've got to lower them, well, that's a difficult problem. It's a very difficult problem to fix because you can't really lower them without leaving a scar where they were. And so you um, that's a problem because you don't want to have the scar kind of abrupt your bra. Um, but often... If you have had a surgery like a lift or a reduction and you think your nipples are too high, it might be that the breast tissue is too low and you've got this bottoming out problem. So sometimes if the nipples sort of on the up, 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 um, up, up line of the breast sort of pointing up, the nipple might not actually be too high. You might have too much volume in the blur part of the breast, which if you can tighten that and lift it, you can make the nipple look at a good position. So as I say, we measure the the nipple to sternal notch distance. So it's, if it's over kind of 22, um, it depends on the body really. You can't be, really, you know, but some patients might have it, you know, 17, 18 and still look okay. But, you know, um, depends on the body type and the, the shape of your body. But, you know, if your nipple is is in a, a reasonable position, it might look high if the vo if the shape of the breast um, is, is predominantly in the lower pole. Coming to see you in about four weeks. I have lots of questions. Good. Write them down, Emria. Um, I'm very much looking forward to trying to answer them. Um, and, uh, yeah, we can certainly get to the bottom of it then. Right. So I'm out. Considering myself out of questions. Um, thank you for that. Thank you for chipping in, Emria, and everyone else who knows me. Yeah, double thumbs up. Um I will uh, be in the same time, the same place, 7 o'clock Tuesday night next week. 
always say this to me, it's not King's birthday, isn't it, next week? So um, party on. Um, and so, uh, but that's Monday. So, yeah, we're another long weekend. Uh, thank you, Alison. Um, so I will see you next Tuesday at 7 o'clock. Um, good luck with the tear thing, Alison. And um, good luck with the nipple high rear. And um, good luck with general life events, everybody else. And I, I will check out of here and catch up in a week. I'm stopping the stream. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.